Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you watching or, or listening online, whether you're working out, whether you're in your living room, wherever you are. We're thrilled to have you today. I want to kick off by asking you a question. What do you think is the greatest day in sports history? Why don't you type it in the chat right there right now? Actually, now that I think about it, that will probably uh, be too controversial, right? There's a lot of different greatest days. So let's make it a little easier. What do you think is the greatest day in American history? You know, some of you might be thinking, well, of course, it's July 4th, 1776, when the framers signed the Declaration of Independence. Or maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, well, I think it's January 1st, 1863, when uh, President uh, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation where he freed all the slaves. There might be some of you who are thinking, I'm going to say it's July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon. Well, let's try this one. What's the greatest day in your life? The greatest day in your life. Well, for me, I would say it's July 3rd, 1983. That was the day I gave my life to Christ and I was baptized into Christ. Right on the heels of that is, of course, July, uh, excuse me, June 13th, 1992. That was the day I married my best friend and my beautiful bride, Heather. Right on the heels of that would be December 13th, October 10th, and May 22nd, which were the days my children were born. And then finally, on the heels of that, would be February 23rd, 2003, which was opening day of LifePoint. Well, let me ask you another question. What would you say is the greatest day in history? Of all of history, what's the greatest day? Maybe you start uh, typing in something there that you think it might be. I- I'm going to jump ahead and just tell you. I would suggest the greatest day in, the hi- in history is Easter right? The resurrection of Jesus. Everything pivots around that. But now I want to ask you a bizarre question. What's the second greatest day in history, right? I mean, that's like, okay, we we have greatest days. What's the second greatest day? Well, I'm going to suggest to you the second greatest day in history is right now today. Today is the second greatest day in history. You're thinking, what are you talking about? Well, I don't mean today as in today, today. I mean today as in today, a couple thousand years ago. So, so what am I talking about? It was on this day a couple thousand years ago that the Jewish people celebrated uh, what we call Pentecost. And on that day, God unleashed and released his Holy Spirit on a bunch of Jesus followers who then went out and preached the message of Jesus to all those who were around them. And on that day, which is today, on that day, Those people who preached Jesus, opening day, the group of Jesus followers increased by 2,500%. So that's what I want to do today, is I want to take a look at this second greatest day in history. I want to take us back, because I just think you and I are in a season right now where we're asking and we're wondering you know, when is opening day for LifePoint again? When are we opening our doors? You know, when are we going to be able to go back to church? And, you know, I know I long for that. I can't wait for it. I imagine you can't wait for that either. But in this season, I just really think you and I have an opportunity before us to reflect and to even remind ourselves, or for some of us, for the very first time, learn 
what the church is, what the church is all about, what, what is the church to be doing, who is the church? This is an important time for us to reflect on this. Now, I can tell you this, that the church today is nothing like what those first believers in that first century thought about the church. You see, from the very beginning, the church has been about a movement. The church has been about a movement of God's Spirit in the lives of people. It was not about an institution. It didn't begin as an institution. It didn't begin with liturgy or tradition. There were no Bibles or buildings or bulletins or bands or anything else that started with a B. There was none of that. There was no facilities. There was no staff. There was no hierarchy. From the very beginning, the church began as a movement of the Spirit of God in the lives of people. And that all centered on one event, the resurrection of Jesus. And it was Jesus' resurrection, and it was the testimony of those eyewitnesses who saw the resurrection that God used them through his Spirit to launch what you and I now call the church. So from the very beginning, it was a movement. It did not begin as a building or with a building or having anything to do with a building. That all came much later. So, the church is not closed. The Spirit of God is still moving in and among His people. And to understand what we're talking about today, I want to set this up for you a little bit. I want to give you a little background. You might be aware that the the New Testament was written in Greek. And there's a Greek word, and it's the Greek word ekklesia. It's found about 115 times in our New Testament. And that word ecclesia literally means a called out assembly or gathering. A called out assembly or gathering. And in every instance in the New Testament, except for three times, that word ecclesia has been inaccurately translated as church. The three exceptions are found in Acts chapter 19, verses 32, 39, and verse 41. And in those three instances, the Bible translators correctly translated the meaning of the word ecclesia, which is assembly, instead of using the word church. All the other times in the New Testament, anytime the word ecclesia was there, it has been incorrectly translated as the word church. Now, why does this even matter to us? Well, when Jesus launched the ecclesia, he launched this called-out assembly. It was all centered on one simple idea, one simple mission, and one simple focus, to go and make disciples. Well, unfortunately, as time went on, the movement that was focused on making disciples in the beginning, it began to shift away from that, and it began to turn its focus towards buildings, towards location, towards hierarchy. And as a result, you and I can look back upon centuries of embarrassing and terrible times for the ecclesia, in part because it was translated or that word ecclesia was replaced with the word church. Now this word church that you and I use, it's just part of our language, we talk about it all the time. The word church comes from an old English word, kirke or sirke. 
That English word traces its roots to an old German word, which traced its roots to a Greek word, kyriakon. Did I just confuse anybody right there? I I imagine I might have right there. That Greek word, kyriakon, means the Lord's house. So let me just kind of say that again to you. You have this Greek word, ekklesia, and that means a called out assembly, a called out gathering. But you also have this Greek word kyriakon, which is the Greek word that we use eventually called uh, church, which means the Lord's house. Hopefully that's making sense to you. So church came to refer to or mean a location, a, a building, a place for people of faith to go. We are going, you know, to the Lord's house, right? How many times have we said that? And of course, that comes from the Old Testament reference referring to the temple. This translation of ecclesia, the called out assembly, turning that or switching that to the word church, that which is based on uh, location, that resulted, unfortunately, in some awful theology. And before long, it became clear that those who controlled the location, the building, those who controlled the church, controlled the scriptures. And those who controlled the building which controlled the scriptures then controlled the people. And even in some places in in Europe, those who control the church or the location, the building, that that means they control the scriptures, which means they control the, the people. Also, in some cases in Europe, controlled the government. In other words, government and religion became intertwined. And as a result, there are some absolutely awful, terrible, embarrassing, even sinful centuries for the church and what the church was all about. And that, in those centuries, had little reflection of the ecclesia or the movement of God or this movement of making disciples. Something incredible happened in in the early 1500s. There's a guy by the name of William Tyndale. And William Tyndale wanted the average person to have the Bible, to be able to read the Bible. Excuse Back then, in order for you to, to hear the Bible, really, you had to go to a location. You had to go to a church, to a building. You had to listen to a priest who would read the Bible in a language that you didn't even understand. And then that priest would then interpret what he had read. And that's what was happening. And so this priest was able to, in these times, in these centuries, the priest was able to control the Bible. Thus, they were able to control the messaging. Thus, they were able to control the people. Tyndale said, no, I want to do something about that. Tyndale said, I'm going to translate the Bible into the common language of the common people and so that people could read it for themselves. And what he did was something different than other people had done up to that time. He translated the Bible uh, uh, from the original Greek and Hebrew languages. Up to that time, people were translating the Bible from, from languages like Latin or other languages. But he went all the way back to the original languages. So copies of his, new, his Bible, his New Testament, began to make their way around to the common people, to ordinary people. Well, you can imagine, church authorities, the way things were set up back then, they were, they were enraged because they had said that Scripture, the Bible, could only be read 
by those who were, who were part of the, you know, the, you know the, the clergy. They were the only ones, the clergy were the only ones who could read it or interpret it. So Tyndale became an outlaw in England. Eventually, he was betrayed by his best friend. He was tried as a heretic, and he was, they, they hanged him. And if that wasn't enough, after they hanged him, he was already dead. After they hanged him, they actually burned him at a stake. But now, the Word of God was out. His copies began to circulate. Common people had the Scriptures. And so, the institutional church which thought in terms of a location, a building, thought in terms of control of the people, it began to lose its power. Because now the average person could actually read a copy of the Scriptures for themselves in their own language. I know you and I take it for granted. We can just read the Bible anytime we want. But that's not how it worked for centuries. Now, one of the things that drove the church leaders crazy about Tyndale is that he didn't use the word church. Remember, what does church mean? Does anybody remember? Maybe type it in. It means, you know, basically the Lord's house. He didn't use the word church when translating that Greek word ekklesia that's found about 115 times in the New Testament. He chose instead to use the word congregation. Because that was his attempt to return back to what the ecclesia really meant. The called out assembly. People. God intended the ecclesia to be a growing, multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered movement of people focused on a simple message for the entire world. That God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The ecclesia is a movement of people, not a building, not a location. You see, Tyndale got it exactly right. And he got it right, and he got what, right what Jesus was already talking about. One time Jesus asked his disciples a question. He says, hey, guys, tell me, uh, what are, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And so some of his disciples spoke up and say, hey, you know, some people are saying that, you know, you're like John the Baptist, come back to life. And, and, and others are saying that, you know, you're like one of the Old Testament prophets come to back to life. And then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter raised his hand and spoke up and, you know, said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I want to pick up here and read what Jesus said after, after, after Peter spoke those words. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. It says this, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this, and the this is the statement that he just made, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This statement was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my, and here's our word, I will build my ecclesia. Now your Bible doesn't say that. Your Bible says the word church. But the Greek word right there is ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, Jesus said, which is not a church building. I will build my ecclesia, which is my called out assembly of people. My movement. And then Jesus said this, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
or some translations say will not prevail or will not overpower it. The ecclesia that Jesus would build is a movement of called out people, called out for a purpose, called out for a reason, called out for a mission to go and make disciples. Well, soon after Jesus' uh, 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 death, and, and, or I should say after this con- conversation, Jesus was crucified on a cross. He then rose from the dead, and then he appeared to his disciples, and he spent about 40 days with them, the Bible said. And then uh, he gathered his disciples on a hillside together and to give them final instructions before he would go up to heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, we call this the Great Commission. But there's another version of this that's found in Acts chapter 1. And Luke writes about that. And in this passage, Luke is going to share this from a different perspective. And in this section of Scripture, uh, Acts chapter 1, he's going to predict the beginning of the ecclesia. Luke's going to predict through Jesus' word the beginning of this movement. So here's what Jesus tells his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to them, he says, you will receive what? What's that word right there? Type it in. You will receive power when who? Type it in. When who? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's the, the, you know, the prediction of the movement. movement. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be, this is as a result of this new power that's going to come upon you, the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, in Judea, which is really that broader area around Jerusalem, in Samaria, which was an area they didn't even ever like to go to, and to the ends of the earth. You see, that's Jesus describing the beginning of this movement, of this called out assembly, of this ecclesia. Well, a few weeks later was the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. Like I said, today's actually Pentecost uh, for the Jews today, literally this day that, that, that we're watching and listening to this. And Pentecost was one of the three times a year required by a Jewish male, no matter where they lived in the world, uh, to go to Jerusalem, to go to the temple. And so Jewish people and converts to Judaism from all over the world, it's Pentecost, and so they're jam-packed into Jerusalem, and specifically at the temple or up on the Temple Mount. And in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the 100 or so, 100, 120 or so believers in Jesus, they were gathered together, and the Bible tells us in Acts 2 that suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, just as Jesus predicted. And the Holy Spirit manifested itself in these Jesus followers in such a way that they began to speak in the languages of all these Jews who had come from all different areas in the world who spoke different languages. And the people were able to understand these Jesus followers speaking in their own language. Now imagine... All of a sudden, there's all this energy, there's all this excitement, and people are asking, I don't understand, how are these people, these, these, you know, I don't know if they knew they were fishermen or Galileans, but how are these individuals, these Jewish people, uh, who clearly aren't from where I'm from, how are they speaking in our languages? And who is the Savior that they're talking about? As people are asking questions and wondering, Peter speaks up. Now, I want you to keep in mind, today, May 30th, 2020, is Pentecost for the Jews. Like I've been saying, that's today. Today is the anniversary 
of that first message that Peter spoke to the people. So let's look at this story, Acts chapter 2. Here's what Peter said. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Peter said this, people of Israel. Now this is Peter talking to all these people who are amazed that these, that these people are speaking in their languages. He said, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So what, Jesus, what Peter is doing here, he's sharing very recent history. You see, it was only a couple of months earlier that Jesus was crucified. And so when Peter is saying, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, I'm sure there's people in the audience who are thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. I heard one of his sermons. Yeah, I remember him. He healed a friend of mine at one point. I remember Jesus. I was there one of those times, and, and, and we were all hungry, and he fed like 5,000 of us. Some of them might have thought, yeah, I was there. I remember that. Uh, uh, he was, uh, the Romans were, 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 were torturing him and making him drag a piece of wood, you know, across through the city streets. And so people are thinking, yeah, I remember. That's like recent history. Acts chapter 2, two verse 23. Peter goes on. He said, you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So basically, Peter is preaching the gospel, the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. Now I want you to jump ahead to Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Notice what Peter said. He's continuing in this message. And then he says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all what? Type it in. We are all what? We are all witnesses of the fact. Now, for anyone who isn't a Christian or a Jesus follower, who you're listening right now, or, or you're watching online right now, or you, maybe you're here and, and you're just still checking Jesus out, this is such an important part of Christianity. You see, Christianity from the very, very beginning was about embracing a true event in history. These disciples, they said, we are witnesses of the fact. We're witnesses of the fact that he was crucified. We were witnesses of the fact that we saw him dead. We're witnesses of the fact that we then saw him alive after he was dead. And we're witnesses of the fact that we spent about 40 days with him. We're witnesses of this fact. We don't believe just because of what Jesus taught. We believe because of what we saw with our very own eyes. So Peter goes on in verse 36, and he says this, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, now he's going to get a little personal, whom you crucified. In other words, there are actually some of you who were around when that happened, and some of you maybe even accused of him, or maybe some of you didn't step up and stand up for him. You didn't defend him. Verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And you can imagine at that moment when Peter said he's been raised from the dead and he's been made Lord and Messiah, Lord and Savior, the Savior that the Jewish people were longing for. You can imagine a hush coming over the crowd. And God's Holy Spirit was moving in this moment. And in verse 37, it says this. It said, when the people heard this, 
Notice what it says. They were cut to the heart. That means they were convicted. God moved inside of them. They were cut to the heart. And they said to the Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, here's what you need to do to respond to this message that Jesus is alive, that he is the Lord, that he is your Messiah, that he is your Savior. Here's what God is asking you to do. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter went on in verse 39 and he said, this promise, what's the promise? The gift of the Holy Spirit, right? This promise is for you, for your children, and here's the cool part, check this out. And for all who are far off. This is Peter's way of saying that what God has begun in our midst today, what God has started today, this message, this momentum, all this supernatural power that we are all experiencing today, this whole thing is going to reach beyond our lifetime. What God is doing today in our midst is going to reach beyond our lifetime. Because remember what Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stop it. The momentum will continue, and the ecclesia will continue to thrive. The ecclesia, the called out assembly of God, will continue to thrive even in a season like today where people are stuck at home, but we're still gathered together around Jesus. Here's how the crowd responded. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, I want you to think about that. On opening day, a couple thousand years ago to this day today, Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people heard the message and said, we believe and they became a part of the ecclesia, the movement of God, the called out assembly of God, and the world has never been the same since. Man, opening day for the ecclesia was big, it was huge, it was powerful, it was dynamic, it was spirit led, it was spirit filled. Thousands of people said, we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead. And so we, you tell us what to do. We need to repent and be baptized. We're going to do it. And so they repented and they were baptized as part of this new gathering, this new congregation, this new movement, this ecclesia that will eventually become known to you and I today as the church. Just like Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, our word church. I will build my ecclesia. And just like Jesus predicted 2,000 years later, here you and I are as evidence of God's, his Holy Spirit power in the lives of, of people for 2,000 years. The gates of hell have not prevailed. The gates of hell have not overcome what God began, his movement, his church, his ecclesia. And do you know what connects people like you and me? 
Do you know what connects people like you and me and people from every culture around the world, every country around the world in the name of Jesus? What is it that connects us? It's definitely not the way we worship. People worship God in many different ways. It's not the way we think in terms of liturgy or customs or traditions. It's not meeting in a building. The thing that galvanizes us, the point of common ground for every believer, every believer in every culture is simply this. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe that he died on a cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and that all who would call upon the name of the Lord trust their life to Jesus, they would be saved. Their sins would be forgiven. They would have eternal life with Jesus. That's what we all believe. That's what brings us all together. You see, it's not about location. There was no location. It's not about tradition or style or way of doing anything because there was none of that. But there was a movement of God's Holy Spirit that entered into the lives of those who received Jesus as Lord. And you know something? God's still moving today, isn't he? God is still doing what he started 2,000 years ago. So what does this mean? I think some of us know it. Maybe most of us know it. Maybe all of us know it. That's why we need to be reminded. We are the church. We are the church. Will you type that in right now? Type it in with conviction. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We're the church. It is not location. It's not about a building. In fact, we, the church, it has nothing to do with location. See, the Holy Spirit is moving right now in our hearts, in our lives. The Holy Spirit is moving around the world right now as messages are being shared throughout the world right now as preachers are preaching the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is moving no matter where you are. We are the called out gathering, the called out assembly. We are the ecclesia right where we are. Right where we are. Now I know we will continue to say, let's go to church no worries. It's a hard habit to break. I get it. It's all good. But let's not reduce church to a building. Church is God's people, you and I, assembled right now watching this from our living rooms or wherever we may be, and the Holy Spirit of God is moving. And so today, today, Pentecost Sunday, Today reminds us that we cannot contain God. We cannot confine God. We cannot quarantine God. God does not need a building. His Spirit is moving in us and through us, empowering us to go and make disciples. So I hope you're catching it. The church isn't closed. Never has been. For 2,000 years, God has been moving and you and I, were living, breathing examples of what the Holy Spirit began on opening day of the Ecclesia 2,000 years ago. The gates of hell will not overcome us. No circumstances, no situations, no government, no economy, no army, no virus. Nothing can stop God's movement. Nothing can stop what God is doing. Nothing can stop His Ecclesia. Nothing can stop his church. Can I hear a praise Jesus? Can I see a praise Jesus right there 
online. Now, maybe you are listening to this right now and you're not yet part of God's ecclesia, His assembly. Listen, God is inviting you right now to join His family. You might wonder to yourself, well, what do I have to do to have that happen? Well, I just want to use Peter's words. Peter simply said this. He, he said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent, it means turn from living for yourself and living for your own agenda and what you want to accomplish in life and turn towards Jesus and have him be the leader, the guide, the boss, the, the one in charge of your life. Make him the leader of your life. Trust in him for your future and your salvation. That's what it means to repent. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that right now. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, as you did on opening day about 2,000 years ago, I ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit right now, God, on all who are watching, God, on all who are listening. And God, I ask that you open up the hearts and the minds of those who you are drawing to yourself right now. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to have the Holy Spirit come into your life, if you want to have the gift of eternal life, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you specifically join me in prayer right now. It's not saying these exact words. It's more that you would mean it in your heart. Would you pray something like this? Let's pray together. Just say, Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth to die on a cross for my sins. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried and that you rose from the dead. So as best as I understand in faith, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now listen, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, and we want to celebrate with you. So here's what we're asking that you do right now. Would you grab your phone or your iPad or the computer or whatever the case may be? Well, actually, I guess your phone. Maybe your, your, I guess you could use all three. Would you grab one of those right now? And would you text the word LP decision to 94000? LP decision to 94000. We want to join with you. We want to celebrate the decision you just made to join the family of God, to be part of the called out assembly of believers who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, who have the gift of forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. If you did that, man, we want to celebrate with you. Also on your screen, there's a little button there that says, I, I raise my hand. You can check that button too and those who are online can celebrate with you. Say, if you just prayed that prayer, select that or check that button. Let others who are online right now celebrate with you. We praise God and we want to we follow up with you if you'll allow us to do that. Text LP Decision to 94000. Now let's all of us together one more time go before the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, would you continue to pour out your Spirit in our lives? God, we want you to continue to be doing what it is you are doing 
in the lives of every single believer. God, we want to continue to be a part of your movement and what you are doing in the world. So God, I'm asking that you would empower every single believer through your Holy Spirit. God, that we would be on mission. What you called us to, we are a called out assembly and you've called us to go make disciples. So God, thank you for what I imagine for most of us is a reminder today. And God, for some of us, maybe it's learning it for the first time. But God, may our hearts this week, will you just, through your Holy Spirit, just keep flooding our hearts, flooding our minds with the reality that we are your ecclesia. We are your church. And you will continue to use us and move in us and through us and the gates of hell will not prevail. So God, bring that fresh to our spirit every single day this week. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.